Hey, Velocity, great to be worshiping with you here this morning. Uh, welcome to the side of my house. We're gathering here in kind of a different way this morning. And if you didn't get our communication about why, uh, yesterday morning we found out that a member of our volunteer team tested positive for COVID-19. And while uh, there's no indication that has anything to do with church gathering or anything like that, just out of an abundance of caution, we decided to not meet in person for this Sunday. So welcome to my side yard. It's great to be with you here this morning. Welcome to the first Sunday of 2021. Uh, this is a great way to kick it off, I think. You know, we're dealing with the reality of the things that are going around us, but it's a brand new year. And a lot of times I know people are thinking of New Year's resolutions, and I don't know how that worked out for you this past year. I'm sure at least by March, there are a few people who had committed to being in the gym every Sunday that maybe, or not Sunday, but uh, every day that uh, maybe that didn't work out as well as they uh, wanted it to. But hey, it's great to set goals. I mean, I've always been a fan of goal setting. I think it's a worthwhile pursuit. Uh, I can appreciate how the date change of a calendar kind of gives us a clean slate and we want to get started with something right there, a natural springboard for making uh, a change or beginning something brand new. But getting at the why we want to make that change or why we want to do something new is just as important. So I hope that you've taken some time for some self-reflection this week. Hopefully you got a chance to catch our New Year's conversation last Sunday with Christina and John. That was a great way to kick that off and give you some ideas of how to do that. I found that every time that I take time, I pause, reflect on who God has called me to be in his word, uh, that there's always something that the Holy Spirit prompts me with, whether it's an encouragement, whether it's a conviction, um, even a reminder about how my faith in Jesus is my Lord, and Savior and King changes my reality and therefore directs my actions. And then that is the filter through which I want to run all of my actions and my decisions through. I'm not perfect at it and I'm fully aware of that, but it is a healthy rhythm for every follower of Jesus to take part in. And when we do, our lives together begin to look more and more like the life that we're all looking forward to with God. That's what I'm looking forward to the most about this sermon series as we kick off a brand new year. Uh, for some, this might be stuff you haven't thought about before. For others, this will be a reminder and encouragement, maybe even a conviction about the rhythms we have in place as disciples of Jesus. And that word disciple is what I pray that we will internalize as we think about the actions our faith produces. Being a disciple simply means being a follower. And as followers of Jesus, mere belief isn't what sets us apart as disciples. The actions and the rhythm of our lives are the indicators that we are in sync with our Creator. The rhythms of discipleship aren't a mystery that we need to figure out either, uh, constantly wondering if we're where God wants us to be in our relationship with Him. Uh, putting into practice the habits of Jesus' life puts us right in motion with God's movement in our lives. And it's pretty easy to tell when we're out of rhythm, when we can look at our results and see that they aren't what we want them to be, but much more difficult to process and figure out the corrective processes we need to put in place. With a golf swing, for example, you get immediate feedback when your swing is out of rhythm. It doesn't go where you want it to. If I were to sit down and play drums, uh, you'd quickly discover I don't have the talent for that kind of rhythm. However, it's a whole other thing then to figure out precisely why that golf swing went bad or how to correct my inability to play drums and then plot a course of action to correct it. 
Uh, I know for me personally, if I don't pick on up on something pretty quickly, I move I move away from it because I don't really know how to go about accomplishing that thing. But you get a coach or a trainer or a mentor or a guide, somebody to follow, uh, who knows the right rhythms, and you may not become a professional at that thing, but you will definitely become much more proficient. This is true with any area of life, but maybe more difficult to recognize in the entire scope of our lives what the immediate feedback we're getting is, and then how to adjust as a result. Over the course of our lives, there are decisions that we make, some of them seemingly insignificant in the moment, uh, that collectively impact how we live and experience life. All of that comes together to form a rhythm. And always with the caveat that there are externals that are outside of our control, the rhythm of our life determines the quality of our experience of God's movement. Several years ago, I was introduced to a different rhythm of life than what I had assumed uh, was expected of me as a pastor through a two-year mentoring program that I went through. And some of you have heard me mention this before, but one of the first gatherings we had, one of the mentors read Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 from the message paraphrase, and it stuck with me ever since. And Jesus says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest, walk with me and work with me, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And tucked within this paraphrase is such a powerfully simple yet profound rhythm of life to which we're called that not only gives us feedback, but it shows us how to do it. Walk with me, Jesus says, and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me. If you want to sum up discipleship in a nutshell, this is it. So that's what we're going to do, and we're going to watch how Jesus does it. This begins early on in Jesus' life, perhaps before you might expect. And early on in Luke chapter 2, uh, Luke describes this moment in time, the story from Jesus' childhood, where he has already begun this step of showing people how to do it. In Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52, we read this. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You know, one of the tough things about being a parent is our kids are always more capable than we make them out to be in our own minds. And this will be the case in different ways based on our own shortcomings and hangups. And in a similar sense, God knows exactly what we're capable of and holds us to the expectation he knows we're able to meet with the help of his Holy Spirit and the grace afforded to us from Jesus. We just have to shift our expectations and our perspectives to match God's and the rhythm of grace to which 
we're called. And that has everything to do with what position we put ourselves in. We don't all experience life at the same pace. We don't all have the same hangups. We don't all have the same privileges. We, some of us have been following Jesus our entire lives. Some of us haven't. But we all have the same opportunity to be where God wants us to be. And this story from Jesus' childhood probably sounds pretty strange purely from a parent-child relationship point of view. However, it becomes less so when considered from a disciple of Jesus' perspective. Disciples of Jesus don't live within the status quo. The status quo for humanity is what gets us out of rhythm. That's one of the many reasons faith in God is communal and not individual. We need each other to stay in sync. So where Mary and Joseph are seeking to correct Jesus for freaking them out, he shows them early on that his life has a different trajectory and purpose. He still respected and lived under their parental authority, but being where God wanted him to be and being who God wanted him to be took precedence over all other things. Long before Jesus' ministry technically began, he was putting into practice the habits and the rhythms that would be ingrained throughout his life. What is said about Jesus in Luke 2.52 could be said in some degree of our lives too. Jesus grew in wisdom and in favor with God and man. Our growth as human beings is directed by our spiritual growth and how we're following Jesus and how to accomplish that. Luke actually bookends this final story of Jesus' childhood with a similar verse in Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 40. Uh, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child Jesus grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. And in both descriptions, they are preceded by Jesus and his mother and his stepfather doing what God had called them to do. They had done everything required by the law in Luke 2, 39. Uh, Jesus says he has to be where his father is. It led to him being filled with wisdom. The grace of God was on him and he was in favor with God and man. And while we could be dismissive and say, oh, that's just because it was Jesus, that would ignore what Jesus then says later on to his disciples in Matthew 11. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me. Simply put, the rhythm of our lives is largely determined by our habits. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Jesus tells the disciples to follow what he does. These aren't ideas that he's throwing out. Hey, you can have a better life. Maybe if you do these things here and there. He's saying, followers of me do these things that I do. And sure, there are things that, you know, we don't know that are coming or things that we can't control in our lives, but our habits bear out how we navigate, navigate those things, how we're impacted by them, and who we're trusting in through them. And we can make a list ad nauseum of all the habits we have. Eating habits, drinking habits, sleeping habits, work habits, exercise habits, play habits, phone habits. You, you get the idea. There's plenty more where that came from. And typically, if we were to categorize habits in our life, we break them down by healthy or unhealthy habits. But a more accurate distinction for a disciple of Jesus is holy and unholy. It's the spiritual rhythm of our lives that affects the physical. And for the rest of this sermon series, we're going to talk about specific holy habits that Jesus models for us that we are supposed to be following. And not just because it checks a box off, you know, makes God happy, but because it aligns the movement of our lives with God's movement in our lives. And when we're out of rhythm, we miss it. But for this message, the rest of the sermon is really up to you and the way that God is leading you.
And I want to encourage you to take time this week to pray and to reflect over these questions. In fact, they'd best be uh, accompanied by fasting. And here they are, just four questions. Am I able to categorize my normal habits as holy? Why or why not? What godly wisdom-forming habits am I currently practicing? How does my rhythm of life flow with the unforced rhythms of grace Jesus offers? What areas in life is God calling me to be where he is versus where I am? I'm really looking forward to the rest of this sermon series, talking about the holy habits that Jesus models for us, you know, the rhythms that we operate within as disciples of Jesus and how that changes our lives. It changes the lives of those around us. It changes our trajectory in eternity. And I, I can't wait to share the rest of that series as we continue on in the coming weeks. But just right now, as we do every week at Velocity, even though we're all worshiping separately in our own homes this morning, we're going to take time and pause and reflect on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and take communion together. And so hopefully you have some juice or some crackers or something that you can share in around maybe even a common meal here in a little bit with your family, whoever you're with this morning, and share in the time of reflection on what Jesus' resurrection means for how we follow him as disciples of him. Let me pray. God, thank you for this moment that we can share together to focus in on your word, to worship you together. And we ask that you bless our pursuit of your rhythms, that we would learn the unforced rhythms of grace that Jesus shows us through his speech, through his actions that the Holy Spirit guides us to and helps us with. God, we praise you for these things. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.